on my phone when we're actually live. So yay. Uh, this is Victoria with Dream Dogs. And with me today is Jackie. And uh, I met Jackie actually in February at Me Put Post Over. She's the host, uh, her and her fantastic family. And uh, we hit it off. I like Jackie. She's fantastic. And she has so much knowledge that I needed to get her on here to share it with you guys. Uh, so we have we have a special guest today. So if you do have comments, go ahead and write the comments in. Um, take it easy on her. I think this is her first time here um, for sure. Uh, and, and we want her to be able to come back. <laughs> We have a great group. So Jackie, I know uh, we were just talking. I know you breed the little truffle dogs because I always mispronounce it whenever I say it. Uh, and then you just had a litter of Malinois. Yes. Uh, it's been very interesting watching the developments of the puppies and, and how they they grow and develop. Like we were talking about just before we came on in the old days when I was working on temperament, I did nothing with the puppies. Absolutely nothing. At seven weeks, I mean, I pet them and they were in the house and they were raised inside. Don't get me wrong, but it was it really just the dog had to be who they were. And when we did the temperament testing, it was at seven weeks. And the temperament testing is is pretty brutal because this is Cindy running back through there um, because there's no uh, there's no glossing it. The dog is who the dog is completely. And their stress thresholds, their recoverability, their ability to handle visual and auditory stressors that it, it, if nothing's done with them, that's the real temperament. And I built a, a kennel over uh, about 19 years of really rock solid temperaments like that. And a lot of people, as things changed, as, as development changed of dogs and we became more into the puppy culture and utilizing all the techniques that we use to bring dogs to their fullest potential. What I found is it's kind of a catch 22 because what happens is with good development, good management and raising a puppy, you do something that I call created temperament. You create a false temperament and a character that later in life you hear these incidents of, you know, single incident uh, traumas where the dog completely collapses and they fall apart and they can never be a service dog again. It's my theory that the weakness was always there. I don't believe in single events can completely cause a catastrophe that the dog can never work again. If that happens, there was a weakness in the character to begin with, and it was masked by over-socialization and over-management. Okay. On the other hand, if we don't do that with these dogs and the dog does have the weakness, you've just destroyed every opportunity that the dog may succeed right? That early development and early management, teaching the dog how to handle stress, uh, healthy management of stress where they learn that they didn't die, right? That type of stress. If you don't do that and you do have a dog with a problem, you, you can't really fix it once you've missed those milestones is the issue. So uh, four years ago, I went to BART and I was training puppies before that. And I was what Bart called a, a master dancer. I think his exact words was, I was a great dancer. He didn't know about what kind of dog trainer I was. They did lots of luring uh, and I was very good at the luring system and worked lots of young puppies back then. And uh, it, was, it was a fun training, fun time. But when I went to, to Michael and Bart and, and Michael and I spent a lot of time together, Bart and I spent a lot of time together and they taught me the operant conditioning. I was a student who most of my foundation was a puppy because my little Mickey 
was my puppy. And what I saw was mostly puppy work. And, you know, I, they told me, they said, if you breeders would just start training your puppies, loading them on a clicker early, you know, you would see fantastic results. And so when I came home, you know, I tried it with the first puppy and I tried it at seven weeks, right? So I did my temperament test and then I did my training after. I didn't want the training to affect the temperament test because you can, again, hide a lot of things that are there, especially through operant conditioning because it really creates a thinking puppy that's solving its own problems, right? So you definitely affect things there. Um, and the first year I did it at seven weeks and wow, Oh man, you want to talk about, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. You know, all of a sudden you've got these seven week old puppies and they're going around cones and they're going under things and they're going through things and they're hitting tunnels and sit down, stand to the box. You're like, wow, you know, your head is exploding and it, it, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. And that's why I got really fat because I just sit in a chair now and click my clicker. I don't have to do anything anymore. Throw food, right? And, um, as those the next year I said well I wonder what this would be like if we did it at six weeks I started to challenge it a little bit uh -huh. six weeks I was like wow this is really cool like they're doing it just as much you know this is fantastic and I found that the temperament test reflected exactly what I saw in the training so my temperament tests now are more for my clients and a lot less for the actual identification because by the time we get to the temperament test I already know who the dog is you know how quickly they overcame for their successes in the training you see it from day one so it's a type of working temperament test in and of itself uh, and I stayed at the six-week mark for you know another year and last year I pushed it all the way to starting to load them on the clickers at four weeks of age and we started doing behaviors at five weeks of age, five bloody weeks. And I was astounded to see that the puppies were, were offering behaviors at five weeks. You know, it, was, it was astounding. And with the Malinois litter, we were seeing a little bit different progression than the Ligotti. Um, with the Malinois, they're, they're a little, they're not picking it up as early. They're wicked smart, don't get me wrong. Yesterday, it was like watching a T-Rex like test the fence in Jurassic Park. You know? <laughs> one, of, one of the little bastards figured out that they could grab the, the puppy playpen and shove it off the concrete, and it would create a little hole. And then I was chasing alanoids everywhere. And, and then we had to we, we put stuff in front of it, like stake posts. And that puppy went around. It's like, check, check. Oh, there's a hole. I'm gone. <laughs> But I think it's because bigger dogs grow slower, so they develop slower physically and mentally. So that's probably the little difference that, that I'm seeing. And how that kind of relates, you know, to service dog work is, is early development, early handling, and, and socialization can be a huge benefit to developing a dog appropriately. Working with a breeder that's done those things. You know, when you have a breeder and you're trying to pick out your dog, do they do a temperament test? Is that temperament test visible. Who did the temperament test? Are you allowed to watch the temperament test? I hear a whole lot of breeders doing temperament tests 
and it's either done in the home or done by their friend and you can't see it. If you have a good breeder that's really developing a dog, well, I'm proud of those temperament tests. I videotape them and they go on YouTube and I want people to see them, right? I like it whenever they redo the temperament test until they get the results that they want. And I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to do, people. And I have people that ask me to evaluate their puppies, other breeders, and I fly places. And I can always see that. I can always see that. And, and where you know that that's happening is that every litter that's born is a self-contained pack. And it's meant to survive even if the older generation has died out. Now, the scope of that pack, you can pick up, you know, the scope of a Rottweiler litter is going to be very different than the scope of a Chihuahua litter, right? Within reason. But a pack will always be there. And so you'll see different reactions based off of pack order. And when I go and evaluate a litter and they all have exactly the same reaction to all of the things, I know that somebody has proofed the test. And the little cheat that I have is when I go to other people's places to do the test, there's always an object they've never seen me use. There's always a test that we throw in that nobody's ever seen me do because I've had it happen. And, and you can argue all day long, well, maybe they were just a litter of perfect puppies. They're all perfect. But I've evaluated hundreds of litters, you know, um, hundreds because I have a big breeding program and I've evaluated other people's and it just doesn't happen. It doesn't matter what breed it is. You're going to have some variances of reactions. You know, yeah. another thing that people don't realize about those temperament tests too, when they're watching them is the difference between a working dog and service dog is a huge thing. You can have a dog that evaluates extremely high drive, has high threshold for stress, great recoverability, awesome food drive, fearless dog, but has no ability to shut off. And, and that, that is a problem. You know, that's a type of dog that won't make it as a service dog. You're looking for a totally different type of dog. Sorry, somebody texted me. Yeah, that's one thing that, you know, I, I try to stress to people is my pick isn't going to be your pick things. You know, so if you're looking for your next working dog candidate and I'm looking for a service dog and she's looking for a therapy dog or a pet dog, we're going to, our picks are going to be total different dogs usually uh, because what our goal is, is different. So like when I got Gypsy, the breeder thought I was going to pick one of the other dogs there because that's who she would have picked. But I'm like, but I want Gypsy because, you know, she had the connection with people more um, and she wanted to just play with me. Whereas the other dog wanted to go off and explore, which, you know, for service dog work, I, I didn't want a dog that independent at that time. Looking for engagement in a temperament test is probably your very first stop you know, like in the flag, no matter what you're doing. If you're looking for a service dog, a pet, if you're looking for a working dog, you want engagement and you want them seeking that engagement, no matter what level you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Tell me more. Tell you more. <laughs> so, um, the progression of the pups as they, they grow and develop, one of the things that uh, breeders are missing that's really important is when the eyes and ears open on a puppy. It's like a neurological rebirth of the brain. And when breeders and people handling dogs don't take advantage of that, it's a huge disservice to the development of the dog. You're missing a, a, a phenomenal opportunity to, uh, to really create brain growth. 
Also, when developing young puppies, uh, it's super important to stay away from the deadly five. The deadly five for me are sit, down, hear, place, and heal. Okay. Uh, it seems counterintuitive, but super young puppies in development or puppies that are in that age range of, I'd say, up to even 16 weeks, it's important to remember that stability destroys creativity. That's the first thing. Yep. Stability destroys creativity. So once you start asking the dog to hold positions for long periods of time, you start putting them under verbal control, the dog stops free thinking for themselves and they start looking to help. Give me the command. Get, give me what I'm supposed to do. And that's why you hear that old argument to not train puppies so young. Too much pressure, too hard, too boring is because those are the deadly five. And you can destroy a puppy very quickly uh, by making the job too much work. And those young dogs, what I do is I just reward activity. I just want to see spontaneous behavior. And I, I can go with my little setup to my aquarium. And I, I my goal today is I want my dog to go around the cone. Well, the dog miraculously runs over and jumps off a jump. I'm marking it. Cool. All right. Fade. Whatever the puppy is offering, pay it. Don't be afraid to mark micro movements. You know, a paw up. The puppy backs up. Keep it very different. Puppies don't like repetition. Repetition, 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 different things. And allow the puppy to dictate what the game of the day is going to be. Let go of some of that control and keep them very active and thinking. Uh, offer as little, you know, it's, it's nipopo, as little help as possible, right? As much as needed, but as little as possible and allow the dog to create their own behavior. Let the fire come out of the dog. The desire to do the behavior must come from the dog, not from you cheerleading the puppy with puppy, 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 dance. <laughs> and people always ask, uh, and I probably shouldn't say this on a, a, a video, why uh, for people can see me but they're always amazed I have these these little puppies no matter what it is and I bring them in this huge building uh, and there's people and there's cats and there's all kinds of and the puppies are 100% you've seen it they're locked in and, yeah. and they they're working and they're like little dynamos you know and whoo, 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 they're they're on fire working and people are always like god you know, how does she do how does she do that you know she must have these really crazy dogs and and what it all comes down to is from the moment my puppy's eyes and ears open they are indoctrinated into the nipopo system from the moment the eyes and ears open then if they want to eat they are an existential food the, the food is not a dessert it's not a uh, boiled chicken or a, a treat it's simply kibble i train with nothing but the kibble that the dogs eat and when the puppies come in to train, it, if I sit down with my puppy and my disen, puppy disengages, I'm not mad, not upset at all. I just stop. Puppy goes away and the next one comes. Trust me, the next time I bring that puppy out, he pays attention to nothing. Like, oh, this is my opportunity. And dogs like to hunt for food. Uh, they like to hunt for food. This little argument about, you know, feeding treats comes on a lot, you know, with clients and, and people. And it's not a punishment. And I never deny food to my dogs. I never say you can't eat. I, I always am there with food and I can always, it, I offer it very kindly. If, if I sit down to dinner and I say to my son, son, I got dinner. 
let's come eat. And he's like, nah, I'm playing video games. No problem. I'm not mad. And, you know, no, I'm done. No more food. And the other thing that we do is people don't look at dogs the way we should when it comes to food. I sell a lot of service dogs and I sell a lot of pet dogs, people that don't go home to their dogs. And they have a hard time with this food concept. You know, this idea that I, you know, that we're going to. And here's what I say to them. At the end of the day, food for dogs is extremely social. When you see dogs eating together in a pack or you see dogs eating out in the wild or you, you know, have a bunch of dogs that eat together, it's a very social time of day for them. There's an awful lot of bonding, engagement, uh, hierarchy, and communication that happens in that meal. They hunt for the meal together, they enjoy the meal together, and they have good bonding and, and quality time with other living beings, right? That's, that's how dogs eat. What do we do? We go, oh, there's your silver bowl in the corner, go eat by yourself. And, and we think that we're doing something good for the dog, there, if you can commit that five to 15 minutes a day of engagement to your dog, it's five to 15 minutes where you are held accountable with their meal by spending actual time with them. It's very different. I'm a stay at home mom. I guess you could call it that since my business is on my farm. Um, I'm going to use that from here on out now. <laughs> and, um, I have two boys that are very good. I'm very rarely present with them. Just because I'm in the room doesn't mean that I'm doing them any quality good for their life, you know. And and when you are doing that training every day, you're devoting yourself to spending that time with your dog, right? And it doesn't have to be begging them with cookies and treats and, and special things to get them to come and come and eat. This is our time together. And the dogs look forward to it so much. Number one, that's how they eat. Number two, that's the thing that they can't wait for the whole day. It's the whole day. If our lives were as boring as theirs were, that would be the moment in your day that you would really get to enjoy some quality time. And that's how those puppies are like that. They're like that from the day they receive food and water. And it's their choice and their invention and their time to be there. And if they don't want to be there, I'm not going to beg them to come back. Puppy, puppy, puppy. And beg them with leashes. Come here, come here. Okay, no problem. I'm done. This is actually a running joke. It's very funny. Um, because we did a gold school out here. And Bart said, Jackie, you need a leash. And then I had to very embarrassingly look at him and say, um, I don't. I don't own one. I don't have a leash. He's like, what? You know? And then I got leashes as gifts for a long time as this extra special training tool. <laughs> oh, the that, well, that happens when your facility is, you know, quiet. When your facility is right on, and, and you know what? You lose a lot of really important tools when it gets too easy. Sometimes training is, is, becomes very easy and, and, and very lazy. You know, when when the dogs are that engaged, you, you can take too many shortcuts. Yeah. I'm texting Luke right now. He's in the other room, and we have one dog in for boarding for the next like two weeks, and that's it. So we're doing privates, and we are working on cranking out some of the videos that we've been putting off, uh, switching them all over to the Nipopo style. So that's fantastic. I love it. I love just you're just gonna sit and just wait your dog out. 
You know, like when he offers it, you're going to go ahead and capture it. And if your dog's not ready for it, just put him away. And what we found too is like five to seven minutes. I can get the dog his whole dinner and mm-hmm. he's happy. He's excited. Uh, Rich was working one because he was like, no, I want to go longer. Like he needs some extra training time in. He's at 15 minutes. I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at Rich and I'm like, honey, he's done. He's been done. Please put him away. <laughs> the hardest part when you switch systems into Nipoco for me is stopping because you have the dopamine. You have the addiction to the system. You want to go, right? He's like, but I'm having fun. And I'm like, yeah, but he's not. <laughs> you have to stop while they're on fire. The other thing that is a classic mistake in the Nipopo system for people watching from the outside that have never attended the school uh, or that have seen, you know, like a, a seminar or some type of, of of school, or even for some students in the beginning, you know, when you graduate and you're starting out playing with the system, the most fun part about the NEPOPO system is the foundation, right? The foundation, the operant conditioning, the gasoline, you know, having a dog that's on fire to come to work every time, you know, and you have so much fun and you have so much dopamine that you forget the rest of the system. And before you know it, you have a po-po-po dog. And then... The day comes when the unavoidable correction comes and you nail the dog and now you are in a popo me system. And, and this is a big conversation and an argument a lot of the times that where we see people saying, oh yeah, I know what me popo is, I've seen that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you look at the dogs and you can tell, the dip, you can tell, the dog tells me which system and you're in. You know, you, you, you can't hide that. And there's a million ways to reach that flashy, fiery, you know, awesome dog. It's not that you have to do Nipopo to get that. You know, no Nipopo says that. Student says that. But the real power of the Nipopo system is the whole system, right? Not just the the operant conditioning foundation is a very important part of having a dog in the end that can do both. A dog that is 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 powerful in obedience is there in bite work. There's some powerful in their obedience is there. There's service dog work. There's powerful in in every aspect of any part of their education. There's no piece that's like ah, not like this part or ah, you know, or they're really good here but not good here. The system is being applied, and what if somebody said, you know, what is the difference between, you know, your system? People think it's a lot of times they think it's an e-collar system. It's not an e-collar system. Yeah, I've had that a few times. So I'm like, oh. um, the, the e-collar is used along with many other tools in the system. Uh, and there, I know a lot of Nipopo dogs and I trained a lot of Nipopo dogs that had no e-collars because the clients wouldn't accept the e-collar. But we do our applications of pressure and we apply our negative uh, with, you know, uh, prongs or flat collars or even a leash, depending on what a choke chain, whatever it is, a halty, whatever your system is. It doesn't matter what tool you're using. It's how you utilize that tool to bring results in the system. And the one thing I say to people all the time that's very the easiest way to say it is with the the e-collar but it applies with all tools is that you know the the we push the buttons when the dog is doing well right uh, many systems what they do is they do lots of positive lots of luring lots of introduction of of, of happy happy fun fun and then one day they introduce a signal that the dog doesn't understand and the dog doesn't know how to turn that pressure off by doing the behavior 
that we want them to do. And it causes a little panic and a little bit of fear because they don't understand how to make that stop, right? And now your dog flattens under this correction. Now the dog is like, that's the owie behavior because they were never prepared for the unavoidable day when the correction will come. You yeah. You see this a lot of times with the use of tools, too. It's just an important little nuance where uh, somebody uses a, a, a prong collar or a choke chain or a flat collar, whatever it is, and they issue their corrections with a particular tool, right? And then one day they go to the field and they flap, flap an e-collar on and they give the dog a correction from a tool that they don't understand. And it's a we understand that it's a correction, but the dog says, well, it is. <laughs> and, and, and they... They don't understand and they don't know how to turn that pressure off in that picture, right? And so your tool that you use should be consistent in the picture. And you can always pair those mechanics with your e-collar. You can always, you know, just use those tools. You don't have to. But it's important to remember when we jump from, you know, one thing to the next, especially with young dogs, right? Really, really young dogs. We're talking about developing dogs that can have a happy heart to, to be service dogs or do whatever their their job is. If you're going to be pressuring young dogs with anything, and you can use quite, I mean, uh, on my on my Legati, those little fluffy, cute little bubble dogs, yeah, I'm putting the e-collar on them at 12 weeks. And, and if you watch my videos, there's nothing about the dog that is, it's communication. And I even have little videos where I turn the tone beeper, beeper on and I shape with the e-collar. The dogs don't understand that as, you know, something that you're wrong, you screwed up. It's not a punishment at that point. It's just communication and information for the dog to understand. And then they can accept correction as motivation, not demotivation. And no matter what system you're using or, or how you train for me, if you issue a correction to your dog and it puts him in the shitter, right? The correction collapses the dog and you see a demotivated dog from whatever correction tool you're using, it's not good work. When I issue a correction to a dog, I wanna see the correction be motivation to do better, right? And that doesn't mean I don't have aversive tools. I definitely do things that are aversive occasionally. But most of the time, I want my correction to be motivation to do what you know how to do well. Yeah. Right? So we just had, let me throw, see if I can throw this up on the screen here. Uh, Elena, jumping in late, what is Nipopo if it hasn't been asked already? And then we have one that ties right into that. And what it is, is Nicole then um, put down uh, her understanding of the basics of Nipopo would be this example, put at least pressure up, uh, would be negative, the dog sits or at least the pressure would be the first positive and food would be the second positive. Is that accurate? Kind of. It's a good skeleton. It's a good skeleton. Um, so old Nipopo that was uh, prior to, gosh, don't count me on this date, prior to Michael, Okay. That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Michael came into the picture because Michael brought a whole new element to an already good system and exploded it into something fantastic. And the teamwork of Bart and Michael really created something. Uh, it was already a very good system, right? I'm not knocking the system. Oh, yeah. But there was a piece missing that Michael brought into that system. And I think it created a whole new level 
of, of new learning for Bart that he kind of really invigorated what he was doing and, and complemented very well. So old Nipopo system was, yes, uh, it's, it's application of pressure, release of pressure, extra reward. And can also sometimes has been referred to as escape training. Uh, I've heard that phrase used before by a couple of people. And you're an example, you apply leash pressure, the dog sits, release pressure stops, and then they get food. But there is a whole nother huge dynamic to the system. That's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I have a car uh, and having the car is there is a brake pedal, there's a gas pedal, and there's a steering wheel, right? That that's about the same as saying that, that, that your understanding Nipopo isn't correct, but there's a whole lot more to it. Uh, there's an engine that runs, and you have to know how the engine of the car runs if you want to fix it. Uh, there's all types of different settings in the car that you can move around and change to make things more comfortable, uh, to make the car go faster, to make it go slower. There's a whole lot of tools that are in that car that make driving it, using it, and and making a better vehicle a lot more diverse than that. Yes, there is a, a brake pedal and a gas pedal and a steering wheel, but there's a whole lot more to that than driving the car, right? And to know all those things and to understand those things, you really have to go to the school. You have to seek out Michael and Bart. You will never regret it if you do, and it will change what you know about dog training, and your only regret will be, why the hell didn't I know this 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it's something that I could never do justice explaining. Um, and every time they come, I learn more and more and more. But Nipopo, and I think that's where some of the people out there, they're like, oh, yeah, I know what Nipopo is. And I, I, I've seen that before. You can't know it unless you learn it from somebody that has gone to the school and understands it. And if you really want to learn it, you have to learn from Bart and Michael. And, and many people I see that went to a seminar 10 years ago are like, oh yeah, I know the whole system. And then you watch their work and you go, what is this? Seriously, I don't get it. And you just kind of tap your fingers and go, hmm. Um, when you see a dog in the Nipopo system and it's done very well, a good question is what does it look like, right? Um, because it, it, it I did Nipopo as a student for a while really badly, very badly. <laughs> like, like I had a little cry fist the second next time I saw Bart. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so it's not that somebody is, is doing Nipopo, that they're doing it well yet. Bart says and Michael say that it is a five-year system. And I remember arguing with Michael, um, the, oh, I, I was going to have it in a year. <laughs> the best. And I got my ass handed to me at the end of that first year, right? Um, they're very patient teachers. Michael especially is very good at breaking things down in a way, uh, you know, I like to say that Bart, Bart comes and he paints with a big brush, right? And Michael comes in and fills in all the details. And between the two of them, they can speak to almost every type of learning student, and every type of dog training. Um, very, very excellent teachers. Um, oh, I loved it when they were tag teaming in on each other, you know, describing things like if, if you're a little confused when one says it, you just wait for the other one to say it and you'll get it. 
And when you see a Nipopo dog that's done well, right? If you, what, do you, what does it look like? What's the difference? You know, how can I look at a dog and say, oh yeah, that work is done well. When those dogs come out, the ignition is coming out of the dog and the dog is on fire. They are hitting every behavior with heart and soul. If you say sit, boom, you say down, boom. When they look into the, they, they have fire in their eyes. And when a correction is given to the dog, there's absolutely nothing that you see other than the dog works better. The dog works harder, right? And and a dog that's done well in the new popo system, when it receives correction, becomes flashier and more powerful, right? They get more dopamine, pumping harder. And and when they receive information from the the, the handler, it's seen as partnership. It's teamwork back and forth. And, and, and it's not just something that happens with working dogs. And if you have any doubt, look at my little Lagotto Romagnolo Italian water dogs that are little fluffy dogs. And when I bring them into the training room or somebody brings me to train them, it's like trying to hold an acne bag in a tornado. They're like, <laughs> you know, the, whoever's bringing them can barely hold them and you let them go and oh, they're 100 miles an hour across 60 feet of room and they start working. Boom, 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 boom. No, you don't have to say anything. They just start throwing behaviors at you, whatever it is, go, go, go. And those are little pet dogs, not Alanois. So it really is a system. It is. Yeah. So here, um, Nicole asks, so we're doing a service dog workshop in February. It's a four day school. Um, we are doing it the Nipopo way. We're, you know, as our framework for it. And yes, we are going to be discussing some of the dynamics. Now, silver school is five days. Gold school is five days. And you need so much more than that. So I've had people when I got back, I'm sure this happened to you too, as, as you were learning Nipopo, Jackie, you know, hey, can I get together with you for an hour and pick your brain so you can teach me everything you learned about Nipopo? Uh -huh. Like, dude, it's a lifestyle. Like, it takes so long to get that information. So, um, Nicole, we will be covering it. I still highly recommend Silver and Gold School more than anything. If it's a choice between me or them, go to them for sure. Um, if it's a choice between me and them, then do both. I think any supplemental learning that, that anybody could give, I mean, going to the school isn't the end-all, be-all of understanding the system and knowing the system. That's very true. So if you can go to something like a student workshop or a student seminar and there are students you know celebrating uh, across the country by teaching i've got the knowledge if you can go to any of those prior to the school it will definitely give you a leg up to better understanding what you're going to learn in the school for sure it's a lot of information um and and the more you can learn about the four quadrants oh it's really storming i lose you i'm sorry um you know, it really helps you with the understanding of four quadrants, uh, the application of things. So any buffer you can get coming into the school will definitely help you to be successful. And I strongly recommend there's some great Nipopo instructors out there that are, are teaching and, and showing a lot of the system. And I think it's a great compliment to the school. And I think anybody that went to the school should also be seeking out, you know, students of the system who are, are hosting uh, different events because you're only going to learn more the more you, you see it. I'm in year four and year one, I was a genius. I knew all the things. 
I knew everything. And I would tell everybody about all the things that I knew. And in year two, I said, I don't know this. I thought I knew this, but I really don't know this. And then year three, um, I kind of started to feel a little bit confident about, you know, what I was doing, how I was doing it, why it was working. And year four, which is was this year in March for me, I'm suddenly coming to the real realization that I could probably spend another 10 years working in this system and still have more to learn. And I've stopped kicking myself for not knowing what I didn't know. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the, the biggest takeaway in dog training is as we go on our journey as teachers and as uh, handlers of dogs, the one thing is we can be very confident about what we know. When you realize you don't know what you don't know and you just can't know it till it's time to know it, you know, then, then it can get a little bit. So at Silver School, I we had a notebook, right? We're taking notes every day. And so Monday I had my notes, Tuesday I had my notes. You know, we have our tests, our quizzes every night. And I'm reviewing, you know, on Wednesday, I'm reviewing Monday's notes because I'm like, he never said this before. Yep, it was written there on Monday. It was written there on Tuesday, but I wasn't ready to get it until Wednesday. And even now looking back, because, you know, I've been going back through my notes again, because you don't just do it and get rid of it. That's I don't understand people who do a school like that and don't take notes. Like I took so many notes, uh, you know, and, and I can go back now and look at it and I, I pick up different things. So I am going um, to the silver school that, that is in November and, and that is at Jackie's place there. Uh, and that's Karen's coming with me. So Karen George is, uh, we call her nurse Karen. Uh, she's one of our trainers over in Gainesville and, uh, and she's doing silver school. So we're flying out together, we're bunking together and then she gets to take it for the first time and I get to come back. So I'll get two silvers in a year. <laughs> It's really something, you know, it's an interesting thing when I, I'll just tell you a little story. This isn't probably not related to anything. Only you will probably enjoy this because you know me and you know Bart and you know Michael. <laughs> so I flew to Belgium. Sorry. I flew to Belgium and uh, got off the plane. And of course there's jet lag and whatnot. And I was like, go in and like, it's like, do you need to rest? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Totally here to learn. I was exhausted, you know, and, and did. And I remember for me, I, I found the Nipopo school because I had been watching Bart's stuff online. And something did not compute, right? I saw what he did, and then I saw what other people were doing that called Nipopo. And I was like, there's something not here, there's something not right. And so I, um, when I saw that he opened that school, it was in January and I was in the school in March because I was really afraid. I'm like, he's, I said, walked in, I said, bye husband. I'm, I'm leaving to Belgium for a long time. I could be back in a month or so. So they do now the silver and gold schools, but what they did when Jackie did it is you went over for a month. Right. Mm -hmm. So they don't do <laughs> no, I think they realized right away that that was not worth it, right? Because um, it was. I mean, they, they picked me up early in the morning, and it was seven days a week, and they, they fed me, they housed me. I mean, in, in hindsight, I was very spoiled, right? Um, it, and it was good wine and good food and good company, and sometimes till late in the night, till nine or ten, because they're very passionate about what they do. So before you know it, you're talking, you know, the day has gone on. 
And I had, my other reason for finding Nipopo was I'm a trainer that started out very young, back in the days when they said, down your dog, then you took your leash and you whacked it over the shoulder blades so the dog went down and they went, yay, good job. Oh gosh. This is like in a dog training class. This is not, you know, this is just what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I found positive training and started, you know, doing a lot of marker training and it was a ton of fun. It was really great. And I was training, 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 see you later. Um, and doing all kinds of, you know, work. And I had great dogs and did great things until the day that the correction came. And then my dogs uh, collapsed under correction. And they were in a type of thing that's called active submission. You know, dogs were doing everything that they were asked, even the ones that had never received any negative, they were still actively submissive in the work. You still see licking and chewing. You still see a little bit of submissive body language, even some of the dogs that had never received a correction. And so I lost my mojo, for lack of a better word. My, you know, I, my corrections were collapsing the dogs, and I was not getting consistent behavior that I wanted. And when I watched what he did, I'm like, this is a guy who was working Belgium ring sport, where it's one of the toughest ring sports that there is. They do all kinds of crazy things. There's no collars on the dogs, and it's some of the most uh, dryy dogs in the world, I would say. And they have to control them in really, I'm really, really crazy settings. You know, uh, think where it's a Belgian Malinois, and the handler's sitting there, and the handler's being attacked by the helper, and the dog is not allowed to bite. Okay. The dog is not allowed to bite unless it's given the command. Um, and so lots of, you know, but what his dogs looked, I'd heard of maligators in this term. He didn't have maligators. He had malalions, right? <laughs> very different. And so I, uh, I went over and I got off the plane. And this is where you show your stupidity, right? This is the stupid moment where I probably shouldn't admit these things online. But I got off the plane. And the first thing that they did was they handed me a clicker. Right. And in my mind, I was saying, I did not fly halfway across the world, leave my kids, my business and my family for somebody to teach me about positive training. I know all the things. <laughs> right. And in the first three days, I was listening, absorbing. But in my mind, I'm like, when are we going to get on to the things? Because I know the things. Right. And about a weekend, I went, oh. Oh, oh, I don't know any of the things. I don't know any of the things. And and, and I, Michael jokes with me sometimes. Do you remember when, Jackie, that you said, you know, it's like the, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was very confident. And I look back on those days of my training, and there's videos going all the way back on YouTube, and I'm ashamed of that work. You know, when I look, I don't delete it, but I'm embarrassed. But you can go back, you know, 10 years and, a video and, and see skinny me. I was like this big around, you know, it was so awesome. If I could just apply the training to those videos, like take that body, put it here, put the training, just flip flop, you know. The magic is CGI, uh, right? <laughs> uh, but what I saw when I was there and what I learned about myself and my training and the holes of my training really took somebody of, um, significant skill much better than mine 
to show me what I didn't know, right? And when you watch Michael work a dog, my God, that is, that's a piece of art. It really is. People don't get to see it enough, you know, but Michael working a dog is a piece of art. You really see uh, that there's another level. And one of the things we do as dog trainers and dog handlers is we tend to run in uh, packs or groups of people with similar or less skills, right? And, and it's always easy to be the big dog in a group of, of people who are, are less talented than you are, have less experience than you, which is experience is probably a better word. And you don't realize your holes, for lack of a better word, until you're standing next to somebody really great, right? And you start to see that. And, and we should always challenge ourselves to push ourselves out of our local groups and, and expectations and, and shoot for higher. In the old days with dog training, dog training has come uh, an enormous distance in a very short period of time. And if you look at videos from the 80s compared to the videos of now, dogs that were winning championships in the 80s wouldn't even qualify right now. You know? Okay. It's very true. And the reason why, you know, when you see um, bark working dogs between the legs, left, right, you know, standing up, down, this is something that people can do, right? And people see it. And, and you know, 10, 15 years ago, nobody could do that, right? Nobody could. And it's the same in the horse world as the dog world as, as the co competitors have gotten better, the training has had to get better. Right, better training tactics, better better knowledge. So the dogs that are competing now, uh, you know, like I said, the winners ten years ago wouldn't even qualify today. If anybody has some time, I'm curious. You know, type in 1984 dog training uh, competitions in YouTube and pull it up. You'll be surprised. And and the big difference that happened is we learned animal science. You know, we learned much better how dogs learn and what they learn. Uh, operant conditioning was a huge part of that. And as we learn to develop these dog skills, the training and the, the the competitions have just gotten stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. You know, you can't win anymore with a dog that is worried about the correction that's coming. Yeah. Uh, the affect of the dog must be that of a flashy dog that's willing partner in what's happening and wants to be there, right? Those dogs in the old days, ears down and flat, you know, back of the head, wide-eyed and, you know, flinching when they, every time they stop, they're doing the, the butt down, you know, and they're, they're, they're constantly, when you watch, and, and, and you see this in all venues, you see it in AKC, I still see it today, I still go into AKC rings and see ops dogs, right, and they're healing, and when they stop, it's like this, paw up in the heel, you're like, please don't hurt me into submission and, and the dog is going around the ring. And if, if you want to know how good it looks, I always tell people turn the volume off and watch the dog. It's very easy to see the dog in motion and movement with the handler, lots of noise and be like, oh yeah, that looks pretty. Turn the volume off and actually look at the dog and then tell me what you really see. Yeah. It's got down a rabbit hole, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's good. No, so there's, I think it was a four minute mile that no one thought you could run a four minute mile. I can't run a four minute mile. I can drive a four minute mile. That's about it. Um, so they, they didn't think it could be done, right? So what happens is one person does a four minute mile. Well, then at the floodgates open and they're like, wait, this can be done. I can do better than that. 
So I think that's a lot of times what drives it is you don't think it can be done because that's not how things are done until somebody's like, I thought I could do that. Or look what I can do. And then bang, you, you got it. And then and then the floodgates open, then you get dogs who are, you know, climbing backwards up buildings and, you know, running forwards up buildings and then leaping 20 feet out to grab a toy. And you're like, holy cow. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a fun time to be a dog trainer. It really is. When I was growing up, you didn't, you were, you were only surrounded by the people in your local community. There was no internet. There was no YouTube. There was no, <laughs> you know, that's all you had, right? And so you had books and you maybe had the local competitor guy. Now all these young kids, man, they can get on. And there's a devil in the details there too, because there's an awful lot of editing and BS training that people are able to pass off as well. So it's a double-edged sword kind of. But uh, it's it's a time when you have a wealth of information and instructors. I mean, back when I was growing up, there's no way you could know who Mike Settle was, Karen Pryor, and Bartolon. Yeah. You know, the, you, if you weren't traveling in those circles, it didn't happen. And now you can with each one of those different disciplines. Yeah. You know, and bringing in and service dog trainers and people that are interested in and raising and developing their own service dogs. You have a, a, a barrage of, of information that's out there now that just wasn't possible even 10 years ago. It just wasn't. Yeah. So um, here's another comment we got from Shane. Uh, do you know if there's already a service dog program outside of Dream Dogs? I'm thinking she, an ADI, which is Assistance Dog International Organization, uh, that's utilizing NEPOPO or a similar system. If not, how do you think NEPOPO will revolutionize service dogs? That's a really good question. And the answer is, to my knowledge, I don't believe there are any service dog programs outside of, of mine and Victoria's that are using the NEPOPO system. How it will revolutionize the, the service dog training you know, waits to be seen. There's a lot of different ways that that can happen. You know, uh, dogs that love their work and have great desire to do the work that comes internally can change the whole aspect of that, how a dog works and the levels that they can reach and how quickly they can reach it. If you were to ask me my best guess of how that could happen, what I would say is that dogs that have to be motivated by the handler are much harder to train. Dogs that utilize classical conditioning as the primary foundation have to have many more repetitions to achieve what they need to know. Complex tasks. Uh, that dogs may need to know take much longer if you're trying to lure and classically condition those behavior by using mechanics with either a leash uh, or, or a lure to get the dog to achieve the behavior. Uh, when you can have a dog where the desire to work comes from inside and they're a thinking dog that understands the concept of problem solving, you won't have to have the number of repetitions to get understanding. And so the dog will understand faster, which means dogs should be able to achieve complex tasks much quicker and understand them much more thoroughly and be able to problem solve in the moment. You know, service dogs, some of them have to be very, for instance, diabetic alert dogs have to be self-indicating dogs. This has to be a situation where the dog has to make the decision to do the work. They can't be cued to do the work. The dog has to do it independently of the handler. And so 
if if some things are so difficult to teach, you know, if I want to teach a dog, uh, for instance, uh, to go backwards around a chair in a, in a loop while I'm sitting in the chair, I need you to go behind the chair, you know, and, and you need them to do it independently of you. You know, you can lure 500 times and then by, you know, 600, the dog understands and you got a lot of body movement. You got to fade. You may not be able to get around the chair because some things are just very difficult to lure for complex tasks and the operant conditioning foundation as well as the help as little as possible as much as needed and the fact that when the dog makes a mistake you don't have the danger in the nipopo system if done well of creating a scar with behavior the the big thing with training is you're developing a dog to do these really complex behaviors where the dog has to work independently of the handler is if you in a popo knee system or a standard training system you always are running the risk when you issue a correction of the dog shutting down under the correction and creating a scar in the behavior. And if you create a scar in a poor behavior on accident and it happens to the best trainers and anybody that tells you it doesn't is not telling the truth it, where you now you've, you've now the dog has failed. Right now we have to throw that dog out. And I believe that the number of dogs that will be able to be successful and the number of washouts will diminish greatly in the system. Uh, you'll be able to teach the dogs, you know, faster to reach those tasks. And that's how I think I would guess that it would revolutionize the industry because, you know, the time it takes to teach a dog to thoroughly understand, to receive the number of repetitions that they must receive uh, before they can receive a correction in other systems is a long time. And I'm talking about, I have puppies by 16 weeks that have a go out, come back, a dumbbell retrieve, a sit, a down, a place, and they're doing it on fire, on fire. They love it. And that's 16 weeks old, and I've got video after video after video, so it's not just talking. At the end of the day, the one of the fundamental differences, like I said, Nipopo is about not just the steering wheel, the pedals, it's about understanding the whole car and every button and feature in, in, in the vehicle. So I don't want to simplify it. But I just want, because at the end of the day, Nipopo is not about classical conditioning and operant conditioning. Those things exist in all systems, right? I mean, operant conditioning is nothing new. Classical conditioning is nothing new. The system is very different than any type of dog training you've ever seen. But I just want to address those little elements. When people utilize classical conditioning, it's a little bit like driving with a GPS in your car. I know everybody classically conditions, and I know everybody lures, don't smack yourself. Um, luring's not a bad system. I understand that it works, and people can have great success with luring, so I'm not knocking luring. What I want to talk about is the difference of what's happening in the brain and, and why it matters. When you are luring a dog and you're utilizing lots of handler help, you know, whether it's with the leash, with the mechanics, with with driving the dog through mechanics or your voice or a lure, whatever it is. Essentially, your dog is following help, right? And what I mean by that is if you drive in a GPS and you arrive at my house and I say, hey, Victoria, how'd you get here? You're gonna go, um, yeah, did you go through Marshfield? I don't know. Did you come down 38? I don't know. You were just following the help, right? blindly and mindlessly. 
And, and in, in that journey, when you came there, if you're at my place for three weeks, by the end of that three weeks, you can probably get yourself home, right? Probably. And that is what's happening when we're using a bunch of handler help to get the dog to the solution. I don't care what that help is, whether it's an e-collar, prong collar, leash, lure, when you are mechanically or physically guiding the dog into position to have them follow your help to the solution. You have to have lots and lots and lots of repetition before you obtain muscle memory because the dog is following the help, whatever it is. So the brain is not actively engaged in the learning process. It's just following help and through repetition, the dog slowly begins to understand and then we fade the help, right? When you use operant conditioning, it's kind of like when I was growing up and I had to go on a trip. I had my map and no cell phone, a trusty map, and there weren't ATM cards that I could get gas out of all over the place and had trusty, you know, I know it's hard to believe, but they had those little phones with little quarters you had to put the things in. And, and you had to really think, and if you got a flat tire on your trip, you had to walk, get some help, flag a car down, and when you were driving, you pulled your map out, and on that journey, you made a lot of wrong turns. You got off on a lot of exits you weren't supposed to get off of. You um, meant to go left, you had crap, and you get off on the wrong road. Oh, I gotta get back on 66. And when you got to your place, your destination, it was very probable, if you had at least a little bit of intelligence, that you could probably get 90% of the way home without a map. Because your brain was actively engaged in your journey and reaching your destination. And that is the difference between true operant conditioning and true free shaping, not assisted shaping, uh, you know, where you're kind of luring the dog around. But true free shaping means I sit in a chair like an 80-year-old woman and the dog has to figure out how to get me to go. I, I do nothing. I give no help. When people watch me train, like Mickey sometimes, like at the gold school, I had one come up and go, are you happy with what he did? He looks so great. Or like, I am happy. They're like, but you never smile or tell him, good boy. And, and then he's doing so great. I'm like, yeah, it's on purpose. It's on purpose. Because all that is help. The dog has great love from the behavior right? He gets joy out of doing the work. So he doesn't need me to tell him good boy. He's already very happy doing what he's doing. Yeah. But anyways, that's, that's when, when you talk about the question of how is it going to revolutionize service dog training? The easy answer is that it will allow behaviors to be taught much faster with many many less repetitions and the dog will have a deeper understanding of the behavior uh, and he will really understand the behavior and, and what do i mean by that just in, and i'll just quit talking because i'm like well i could go on all day long right what i mean by that is you see people say sit down stand right they give the commands then then i'll tell somebody okay i'd like you to walk leave your dog Walk away from your dog, turn your back on your dog. Don't look at your dog and say, sit down, stand. You know what I see 90% of the time? No habla inglés, master. Yep. The dog has no 
no clue because the dog doesn't understand the verbal command. The dog had no deep practice in the behavior of true understanding. The dog understands a picture and they only understand the behavior in that picture. And then what we do is we take that dog away from that picture and he does not do and we kick his ass, right? And the dog says, oh my God, what happened? Because they just didn't understand when you changed the picture because you thought you had deep understanding and you didn't. And, and service dog work, that's a big, big deal because the pictures have to change a lot and the dogs have to understand in multiple environments and in multiple places what they're doing. We don't see that in a lot of, of dog training. I see a lot of good dog training, but the dog can only understand if the picture stays the same. And in service dog training, the picture will never be the same. Yeah. I also think it's going to open it up to a lot more people. Uh, you know, for you were saying about having the dog, you know, go behind you and, you know, you have to lure him behind you. If you're in a wheelchair and you have limited mobility, you can't do that. So you're stuck with how do I train this dog? So one of the things we're covering in the school is everyone gets to pretend like they're in a wheelchair and they have limited mobility. And how are you going to train this? Because you can't get up. You also can't bend over to pick something up if you drop it. So they'll be like, well, I'll just keep the treats on the floor. How are you going to manage everything or the food on the floor? You know, like if you drop the clicker, what are you going to do? You know, that's where, you know, some of these things for people who are training service dogs, uh, if the dog is big enough to be used for any sort of mobility stuff, you know, we're getting to where I'm like, I don't know what your health is going to be like in a few years. You know, so if, if you're having some problems now, it might get worse. And we need to set your dog up for that right now because you don't know how that's going to progress. I think that's a really, really good point, you know, uh, is, is that there are a lot of things that training system, one of the things that's EPOPO that's really interesting about this system is you can do it when you're 90. You know, th this is not a, this is not a system that requires you to be an athlete. And, and I know prior to this, I, I have, I have a knee injury that's really limited my ability, but boy, I remember pre EPOPO, I was, you know, jiving and jabbing and moving and bending over. I just sit in a chair. I didn't even move anymore. As a matter of fact, Michael, when I was in Belgium, this is the last thing, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably have to let you go here shortly, but um, Michael actually threatened to tie me to the chair. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not joking because because I was constantly, like, trying, I was sitting in the chair. You know, and even in the chair, I found out the way I was leaning my body was talking to the dog. You know, the where I was throwing my food was begging the dog to go in the direction I wanted. Yeah. And I actually had a lot of old bad learning when I came back of, you know, marking and getting the food there really fast. Like people, yes. years of this, right? So I actually had to come back, put a sweatshirt on, put my baggie of food in the sweatshirt, in a Ziploc baggie, <laughs> and close the Ziploc to prevent myself from getting the food. So poor Mickey's like, it's like, what's up? Yeah, mm -hmm. but that's. I, I think that uh, it, it's going to be exciting for you, Victoria, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what this next year brings, as far as you can bring your students and and the people that really want to train their own service dogs. The interesting thing about training service dogs that I'll just say I've done a lot of it um, is that there is this magical, mystical art that your service dog facilities that are making $1.4 million a year training service dogs, 
that, and they never want to share the knowledge. Yeah. And the reason they don't want to share the knowledge is because uh, it's not real hard. <laughs> I can only justify charging you $35,000 a service dog if you don't know that I spend 15 minutes a day working your dog. Right? That's yeah. it. The hardest part about the service dog work is uh, the public access work. The public access work is done. The, the training is easy, right? It's super easy. And I well, say that when you're doing the knee po po and you're setting a dog up to think and to be creative and to problem solve on his own, they can make those leaps when you're doing the, the task work. So, you know, okay, we're working on this stuff. And then he kind of makes a leap on his own and you're like, yep, you've got that right. And he's like, cool. I've got it. I love it. Heart and soul. I'm going to do it. And you don't have to show them every single step for some of them. They can make those leaps, which makes it even easier. Yes, because they, they make it themselves. You know, you don't have to be involved in that process. That's one of the things people always ask. How does the dog, how do you bring it together for the dog? How do you bring it together? And the answer is, in the NEPOPO system, the dog brings it together. We don't. Yeah. The dogs bring it out. And, and all joking aside, you know, um, it's the same thing with, with the scent work and the diabetic alert dogs and, and all of those things. The... There's this big mystical ideology that's given to people who are interested in a service dog that it's this really complex thing that takes a really long time to train and it's very hard to do and you have to have a professional do it. And it's, it's just not true. The most difficult part of service dog work is the public access work. If you give me a dog that has had the type of public access work that you've given Django, which, by the way, I thought about just mailing you dogs and being like, can you just go to Disney? <laughs> when that level of work is done, if somebody hands me off a dog that's been prepared well, it takes me six weeks. I can yeah. Anything you want to teach, six weeks maximum. And that's not six. It takes me three weeks to teach the behaviors and then three weeks to get the reps in. Right. Okay. But and, and so people that don't, you know, it's just about an investing. One of the big things that I've seen, because I do offer that as well, where people can raise their own puppies and bring them back to me for, for service dog training if they don't want to do the whole program. Because it does cost a lot for somebody to get a service dog from me. I mean, I am somebody, it's $25,000, you know, which I know is more expensive, but that's my fee. That fee comes from because I have to drive to the city. I have to drive places constantly. I have to go everywhere. I've got to get on a plane with your dog. I've got, you know, gas and time and a whole bunch of other things that get in the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and for me to do that for a year, it's, it's the only way it's worth it to me is it's that. And even then it's a gift because I charge $3,500 a month for four weeks of training. Yeah. Do the math there. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but for people that, what I have found, I have another program where people can buy the dog and I say, do your public access work and then bring the dog back when it's mature and I'll, I'll put the, you know, put the steering wheel on the brakes and, and put the car together. And what I found with that is that people were gung ho those first two, three months. I'm sure you guys, it's the same. And then it's kind of like the interest kind of wands off at the point where you really need to be the most devoted uh, to what you're doing. And if the dog becomes a novelty, right? And if we're, we're over the front part. Yeah. You have the same experience? Uh, we have for a few. Yeah. Some of them I'm like, we just put how much training into your dog and you're not using them. 
you know, like if there's a problem, come to me. So my service dog, I do pet and I do the service dog, you know, working with the owner trainers and we have three programs. And the one, our best program is it starts as young as possible uh, with private sessions, group classes, semi-privates, which I actually got the idea from you whenever I've been there and you've had the, the women come and work. So I'm like, I love that idea because then you can work, you know, both dogs, they can play off of each other. You get that distraction there. And they get to, you know, make that relationship together. The service dog world can be very isolating. So, you know, they get that. They get to do field trips to Disney and Universal. We do field trips around town. Um, they get everything, you know. And then when the dog's six months old or older, I get them in for a five-week boot camp. And during that time, it's a totally custom boot camp. We work on what they need. If they need more public access, if they need more tasks, if they need more of the behaviors. Some dogs ask when they want us to introduce them to e-collars. But because they have tops of four months minimum, you know, with their dog. Um, I guess tops and minimum aren't the same, but you know, from two months old to six months old, you know, a lot of times it's still like, he's so great. You know, he's having a couple accidents, but, but it's doable. And if they can keep up with, you know, doing the, the sessions with us for those four months, the dog's going to be amazing. And then, you know, he comes back at say seven and a half months old and he's doing super and they see that huge improvement in them. And I actually had one who went home a few weeks ago, uh, like five days early because his owner was in the hospital and she really wanted him to be there and it would totally help her out. So I'm like, okay, we didn't have a go home. And so friend came, picked up the dog. I'm like, here's his stuff. Here he is. And I told her, I said, you know, whenever he's doing, when you're doing better, you know, let's get together and we'll do it. If we need to do a video call, we'll do a video call. Um, he was doing so fantastic because she's on Instagram. So I get to see little video clips and everything else. The dog was doing just amazing because I didn't have to be there to prep him because he took it on his own. He did it on his own. And that was just amazing. We met up on Luke's birthday at Epcot and I got to see them for the first time in a few weeks. And, you know, he's just, he's on point with everything. So I think part of it is that for some people, some programs, especially if you're one of these, everything has to be positive only and you can't ever say boo to a dog, you know, it's very frustrating. And then, you know, for some people, some types as well, that happens too. Oh, Jackie just texted me, guys. She said, where did you go? Um, I'm on. I think I'm on. Am I on, guys? So um, let me pull up and see where Jackie is. Oh, she's on. Oh. Uh, I have to pull this up. I'm frozen, apparently. So let's do this. And then this, and see if there's any difference. Oh, she disappeared. She'll be back. There we go. Is that oh, any better? This, but there we go. You're okay. While I was out, I saw a really, um, a couple of things I wanted to, to address real quick. Yeah. Um. And Nicole says, I find it opposite. I find public access much easier to teach than tasks. It's it's not that public access is hard to do. It's that it's a lot of time. It's, it's very time involved. Public access is really about, you know, working on both saturation and sudden event type of exposure. Uh, you know, saturation in Disney is very different than 
um, nothing to something type. And it's very time involved. It's, it's teaching tasks. It takes five to 15 minutes a day and you're done and you don't have to leave your house. You have to do anything. <laughs> Public access means I got to get in my car, which I don't like to do. And I got to drive really far because I live in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and doing things. Uh, the, um, why did they name the NIPOPO or the, the training system NIPOPO? That's a very good question. And it's one I have to ask Michael. Right. Uh, one of the things that's tough about the name is the need for so many people, uh, you know, negative, of course, in the etology of, of dog training, we didn't, you know, negative reinforcement and uh, all of the, 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 the word negative and all dog etology, which is the language and vocabulary of dog training. People have a hard time swallowing it because negative doesn't mean it's a negative experience for the dog all the time. It doesn't mean that the dog is is negative can mean a lot of things and a lot more than just you're in trouble and that's bad and it's wrong, which is how people, when they hear negative, that's the automatic thing that they think is that, that you're wrong, that's bad. And, and the knee and, and all dog vocabulary has a much more diverse application. But that's a question I would really like. Um, well, I talked to Michael and we're going to get her on as well at some point. I know she's wicked busy right now, especially, you know, Bart's coming for IACP, but she isn't. So I'm sure they're getting everything wrapped up as much as they can before he takes off to come here. So I don't know when I'm going to have her on, but I will. But that is a great question. Oh, that we can I'll be here with my cheerleader pom-poms, all the things. That woman's awesome. Um, <laughs> one more question I want to address and then I have to go. It's raining and I got to bring the horses in. Um... They, you know, Shane asked if uh, we thought the odds could be improved with the NIPOPO method, increase the rate of service dogs, um, or would it just weed out any dogs who sort of don't make the work? This is an interesting question, and I like it a lot, and I want to end on it, uh, is that the operant conditioning portion of NIPOPO, the part of the system that the other parts that require that the ignition come out of the dog, that the uh, desire to work has to come out of the dog. If you can create that where the dog has a great love for behavior, that the dog comes out of the starting gate going, I love this. It's not repetitious. Uh, do I, I show you what you must do and you must do it because you, know, you must do it again and you must do it again and you must do it again. This, for a great number of dogs, especially dogs that are young and developing, can be soul crushing. Not that the work is bad or hard, but it doesn't create great joy and love for the behavior. And so that I believe that many more dogs will be successful um, in any task, whether it's service dogs, working dogs, you know, whatever it is, where the dog is developed in a way where they're very well prepared for the day that the correction comes. The correction is not soul crushing, it's motivating. And the dog is working for the sheer love of doing the behavior. They love to do the behavior. And if we can develop dogs that way, then a great number of dogs that would have been crushed under the pressure of the work, the monotony of the work, that would have washed out simply because over time, if I say sit down, sit down, sit down, sit 
down. You do that 500 times. And if the dog doesn't have great love for that behavior, if you haven't created a dog where every time they say sit, I might come, I might get the reward. Oh, every time they say down, I might get the reward. Oh, when you see a new popo dog, the longer you go without rewarding them, the harder they work and the more excited they get, the more dopamine and endorphins are done and the dog is alive, right? Because they have great love for the behavior. They have ignition to start. They are problem solving dogs and they're, they have great hope and desire for everything that they do. If you train in other systems where there's no ignition, the, the desire to do comes from the handler it's massive amounts of, of repetitive work that the dog has to do over and over that's very boring and there's no thinking, the brain doesn't have to engage, they're just mindlessly doing repetitive behaviors. A lot of dogs over time are gonna wash out because they're just not gonna wanna do it anymore, right? It's, it, there's, there's nothing joyful about what we're doing, it's repetitive and it's it's, mechanical and I don't have to think and my brain doesn't work. So I believe that what it will do is bring a great number of dogs that would have not been successful in other systems to greater levels of success. People who have pet dogs at home, like in your program, that are that are trying to turn pets into service dogs or they have service dogs they're trying to raise and develop, um, they don't have the same feeling that somebody who has a doctorate in dog training who's trained thousands of dogs is gonna have. And so for them, it's very easy to push the dog to the point of monotony and boredom and taking away the joy of the dog, which long-term is gonna shorten the dog's career dramatically or even wash them out. But the Nipopo system is a system that anybody can do. You don't have to have a PhD in dog training. You're having great fun with your dog right and the dog is loving it and if you do it right and do it well you can issue corrections without creating a scar or crushing your dog it just creates motivation to do better and harmony in the work so the answer to your question is i think that it will it will increase the number of dogs that can be successful and i think this is in all things all dog sport uh, service dogs whatever it is the number of dogs that can make it highest level of learning is amplified by teaching them how to think and how to learn. Otherwise, you have to be very lucky to get that dog that can overcome all of that to be the one that's successful. Perfect. So Jackie, how can people get in touch with you? If they want a little truffle dog of their own. If they want a little truffle dog, um, first understand that if you leave my voicemail, you will never hear back from me. Uh, <laughs> Send me an email. It's one to two weeks. Uh, text is best. Just kidding. Um, my, uh, I have a Facebook page called the Logoto Trainer, uh, and it's my. It's easy to reach me there. My website is the Logoto Trainer at gmail.com. Facebook is always a good place to find me. Uh, reaching me sometimes can be difficult. I receive approximately 50 to 75 texts a day. So, <laughs> uh, my voicemail li literally says, uh, 
it, I think verbatim, and somebody pointed out to me what a re rude ass message it was because I didn't realize, right? It says, hi, you've reached the personal cell phone of Jackie Barbieri. If you're leaving a voicemail, um, it could be one to two months, if ever, that we reach you back. If you write an email, we do try to reach you within a week or two. A text takes two days. Thank you for calling. <laughs> It's uh, one of my friends said, how can you do business like that? <laughs> uh, but uh, all joking aside, uh, www.logoto.info or the Logoto trainer, uh, .com, uh Facebook chain page is the Logoto trainer, Jacqueline Barbieri on Facebook, contact Victoria and tell her to tell me to right. you. I'll send you Jacqueline's info. <laughs> Give me my second phone number because it won't matter. <laughs> uh, and I know you host workshops too. Do you have anyone planned besides silver and gold? Um, we had, we're going to have Pat Nolan again. And my gosh, I'm, I, what a great teacher. Uh, I can't wait to have him out. I want to have Mac, Mike settle next year. We'll have out again. Hopefully I got to reach out to him. I haven't talked to him yet. We had him here once before. I would like to get Randy Hare out here next year. If you like scent work, he's great. If you're interested in any type of peanut uh, allergy or diabetic alert work, he's amazing uh, and, and has a nice system that can be worked with lots of different dogs. With uh, Pat Nolan, I, I just have to give a big shout out to the guy here. If most, if, if you don't know who Pat Nolan is, you need to know who Pat Nolan is and you need to go to his website. Amazing man amazing teacher and really does a, a lot of things with directional retrieve work, um, scent work. He has a great, he does lots and lots of scent work. Another one for diabetic alert dogs uh, or any type of, of scent work dogs, peanut dogs. I learned so much from that man when he was here. I was just, it's a joy. We have a lot of instructors out and we have a lot of teachers and I host a lot of seminars out here. And it was, it was just a real pleasure. And if you see him anywhere in your area, I strongly recommend you go and see him. Uh, one of the sad things about Pat Nolan is when you watch people, it's a little like watching when Bart's speaking to people or when Michael is speaking to people. A lot of times those guys are offering uh, what Michael calls... Uh, <laughs> Pearls for pigs, right? Pearls uh -huh. for pigs. It's, a, it's a saying. And what it means is he, there's dropping magnificent things and people just aren't ready for it. Like you, 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 you walk away from that seminar and maybe you'll understand two years later what he's teaching. But there's a tremendous amount of things to be taught with uh, directional send outs for service dogs, you know, where you're really able to direct them to different areas to go. Um, as well as he really did a whole lot. He does some amazing things. He posts some video of he uses a CB on a dog and he puts the CB on the dog and he sends dogs out. This is one of the special things that he does. And he sends them in to do building searches for the military and police. So the dog has a walkie talkie on and they send the dog across the parking lot and Pat can say left. The dog will scan left, left. And the dog will walk to the left. And he'll say right, forward, back, and he's able to direct this dog through the whole building from a CB, completely not there, and even direct the dog to do things like look at the hinges of the door 
so that they, they know how to get in the building, like what tools they're going to need to get through the door to get up the building and can direct a dog through a six story building without with the dog's got a little camera on his head right here. And it's, it, it, no, it's, it's really advanced camera system, but it's really amazing uh, what he does with dogs. And he's talks about you know, that directional stuff. Uh, then with the scent work, oh, smart man. And what a, what a pleasure of a guy. And I know he gives seminars all over the U.S. And he's not that expensive. The guy should be charging like eight times what he's charging. But awesome guy. Also very, very, very complimentary to, to the Nipopo system. When he was here, I, and I've seen a lot of seminars, and I've seen a lot of trainers, and I've posted a lot. And when Pat was here, I kind of stopped him and, and took him aside, and I said, Pat, i got to ask you. How much did you learn from Bart and how much did Bart learn from you? Because I've never seen an instructor teaching so much in the system of Nipopo. And he kind of half smiled at me and gave me this wiry little grin. And he said, at the end of the day, good dog training is good dog training. I don't know what to tell you. That's right. So yep. very complimentary to the Nipopo system. If you have interest in that, um, a great guy, like I said, and he's he's all over the U.S. and you can just go to his website and it's it, it really worth seeing. That's perfect. Yeah, I wanted to go. I know you had him over the summer and it was during one of my wonky times because I was like ready and I'm like, shoot, I hope I get over it so I can be like, I'm coming, girl. But it didn't happen. So We're going to have him back because he's absolutely worth it. You know, it's okay. um, he's, he's definitely a, a hidden gem. Uh, he's very, very well known within his circles, but his circle is predominantly bird dogs, you know, and, and people that aren't into bird hunting don't investigate what he's doing. And my gosh, the guy is a genius and excellent teacher, uh, very well spoken. Whenever Michael or Bart are here, I get what Bart calls sprankly. Sprankly for his words. So the gold, I don't know if you caught it last time. No. Oh yeah, I was going to do that workup with Mickey, and he goes, Jackie, why do you look so sprinkly? It's like you already know you will fuck it up. <laughs> I love when you do Bart. <laughs> and he was absolutely right because I walk in like this. Oh, Michael's here. Oh God, I'm gonna make a mistake, and it's gonna be so bad. You know. So, yep. But uh, definitely recommend. And I would love to hear more about your seminar that you're hosting, too. Make sure I can post that on my page, too. Okay. I have a lot of Logoto people that I could send your way. So. Okay. That would always be fun. Bring me out there, too. Because you are not only the best host, guys, you see behind her there, that's their clubhouse. So they have two full bathrooms, and they have a whole sit-down lecture area, too. And that's not even the training area. The training area is in another building, and it is huge. So, like, Jackie's place, because I was, in the beginning, it's in Missouri. What What is in Missouri? Why are we driving, flying to Missouri? I don't get what's in Missouri. And then I saw it, and I said, uh-huh. <laughs> I can totally see why it's so easy to get there. You know, you're close enough to, uh, where do I stay in Marshfield? right off the, the interstate there. And uh, cause I always travel with a service dog so I can stay at not pet friendly locations and it works, um, but it's super easy to get to. And it's so cute cause you're in Amish area. So you see all the buggies and the horses and the, the peeps. 
Well, this uh, this next year we'll we'll have the one cabin by November, of course, and by next year we'll have the cabins for people that we're have six cabins for people to sleep in, and hopefully by next summer we'll have the pool uh, in and the uh, the outdoor bar area, so it could be even more fun. It just it, it, I'm never happy. I've just got to do more. As soon as I get done, I got to create a whole new project. So be an amusement. <laughs> Could be an amusement park here by 2020. You never know. So. Hey, that'll be fun. You know, Disney, you do a lot with the dogs there. You know, if you have a little Disney at your place. <laughs> I gotta get this thing, Victoria. She's got dogs going around with the crazy teacups and all kinds of things. Either I gotta send them there or I gotta build that crap here. Right. Well, so the teacups are great. And yeah, they can go on the teacups. You do one dog and it does have that center pedestal. So it is a pain every time we do it. We don't spin them while we do it. We try to keep it solid, but it preps them really good for airline travel. Because if they can handle that, going up and down with turbulence is nothing. Oh, yeah. If I, I Dumbo see ride, you know the Dumbo ride, right? Like every park has that. Universal has it. All of the Disney parks have it. So the first couple of times we'll do it really easy. And then we'll do up and down. And then whenever they're doing that, we'll do up, down, up, down. But perfect. Then um, I couldn't wait. You know, you're not doing IACP, are you? No, I would. I would love to. Um, I definitely would love to. I, I've done it a couple of times, and and my problem is is getting out of here. One of the curses of of being successful is being too bloody successful, and then there's no rest for the wicked. Uh, and I saw some gals, you know, talking the other day on in the group, and they're like, "How do you handle vacation?" I was like. <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. What is that word? You're in the same boat I am. It's not just the dogs, and, and you have way more dogs than I have, but you've got the critters too. And you're yes, like, okay. And, and the problem with a you know being a dog trainer is support is so important. So support is really important. Uh, it's important for your clientele to to be able to grow and develop, and 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 can, they need you. You know, and, and I remember one year I, I did go on a cruise about four years ago and I set my voicemail and my email. But how does everybody reach me? By text. And I got off of the boat and turned the phone on and the phone went. Then I had text messages going, please answer me. You've never not answered our call. Did, are you in the hospital? Can anybody answer? Like people were freaked out. thought I was dead. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, not dead. It just took some days off. <laughs> so it was not worth it. So, well, it's. I am very, very honored to have been invited on. Uh, I certainly uh, am always passionate to talk about what I love, and I'm very proud of you and, and what you teach. And uh, it's super, super humbling to have been invited on, on your awesome show. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime you want to talk dogs and you got a free Tuesday night, you let me know. So, cause I'd love to have you on. You were fantastic with it. Um, I had a lot of fun at least. So I think <laughs> everyone else did too. We got a lot of viewers, a lot of comments, a lot of reactions. So that's always good. And then what we usually do is I'll download it and I'll upload it to YouTube. Uh, and the nice thing with YouTube is first, it's the second largest search engine. And second, they will automatically transcribe it. So if anyone has to watch it in closed caption, they've got that. So What's we it? upload it to YouTube, and then we also upload it to the podcast tomorrow, usually. That's awesome. So well, yeah. Well, sayonara. I'm going to go bring some some animals in and okay. uh, go back to work. Party. Nice meeting you.
all. Thank you for listening to me babble. Much appreciated. <laughs> See you guys next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.